Good morning, Grace. How are you today? Good, good, good. So today we're going to take a reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, and that will be lines 7 through 11. Now, if you'd like to use the Bibles here in the pew, you can find that scripture reading on page 1016. Okay? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Today we wrap up our series, our summer series called Exploring Christianity. Next week we jump into a new series in the fall that will take us through the fall into the spring and the winter and spring in the book of James. So we're just going to go through uh, the New Testament book of James. Really excited about studying James and uh, how James teaches us to live out our faith in very practical, tangible ways, kind of on the ground ways. So looking forward to that. But today we are in exploring Christianity and we've been looking at various topics uh, various issues that Christianity believes, uh, things like our identity, our sexuality, our, uh, what, what does God say about eternity, the Bible itself, community. Today we're looking at Christianity and service. Christianity and service. Why should we as Christians serve? Like what motivates our service? And how should we serve? Right? What, what, how can we discover our passions and our abilities to serve this church and serve our community in effective ways? Those are the things that we're trying to, to understand this morning from God's Word. Because here's what we know. Let me just kind of, a big picture. Here's what I do know. Here's what you know. And that is, most people today love the idea of serving. Most people would say, yeah, we love to serve. It's good to serve, right? Serving is not a uniquely Christian virtue, our world has been through a lot over the last two years. Our community has been through a lot. Our families have been through a lot. You have likely been through a lot over the last two years. And so we know that many people are struggling. Many people are, are still hurting, are still grieving. Some are just trying to survive. And so there's this strong push. We, there's a lot of voices out there uh, in our world pushing, encouraging us to get out to serve where we can in the ways that we can. And I'm here to say that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Uh, that, that that desire to serve actually aligns with the very heart of Christianity. So then what's the big deal? Why are we preaching on service? Because the question is not, do most people want to serve? The question we have to wrestle with is, why do you serve? 
What drives you to serving others? Christianity teaches, this is the uniqueness of Christianity now in terms of serving. In verse 7, as Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. The unique thing about Christianity and serving is that we believe that this world as we know it is not all there is. That there is an eternity awaiting us, a world that is to come, heaven and hell. And that reality, according to God and His Word, should shape how we live our lives here on earth now. And so our foundational motivation for serving as Christians cannot be that it makes us feel good. And it cannot be that we see the good that it does for others. Even if those things are true, man, if it makes you feel good, great. And if you see, if you see the tangible ways that it helps other people, that's great. But what happens when serving doesn't make you feel good anymore? What happens if you start to feel guilty because you're not serving as much as that lady or that guy? What happens if you start to feel exhausted from serving? What happens if you end up not being appreciated for your service? You see, all those things can start messing with our motivation if it's in the wrong place, if it's rooted in the wrong thing. As Christians, Peter tells us, God's Word tells us, we are called to serve others for the glory of God. In other words, we are convinced there's a God who has revealed Himself, a God who has promised us eternal life with Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. We know that the end of all things is at hand. God could come back. Jesus could return at any moment. And so what do we do? We pour out ourselves in love. We pour ourselves in meeting needs and serving one another. Not to prove ourselves. Not to find our identity in serving. But to show the same selfless love that our Savior showed to us. Our serving, according to Christianity, our serving matters not just here and now, but it matters eternally. Christianity is the only religion whose founder claimed that his sole mission in life was to serve others and die for them. No other founder, no Buddha, Muhammad, Right? Even Moses in, in Judaism, nobody, nobody comes in, or Abraham, nobody comes and says, my sole purpose is to serve and lay down my life. And then Jesus stands up and sort of gives a mission statement, which we read earlier in Mark 10, 45, when he said, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of Christianity. That's the heart of our faith. We have a Savior. We have a God who deserves all of our worship, all of our submission, all of our obedience. And yet He's the God who says, I came to serve you, to die for you. And what that teaches us is that service is at the heart of Christianity. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to understand and learn what it means to serve others. Let me show you how Peter lays this out. Lesson one, gospel-centered community leads to gospel-centered service. Last week, we looked at community. We talked about what does Christianity teach about community. And we looked at Romans 12, 9 to 16. And Romans 12, 9 has this kind of overarching uh, summary statement that he says, let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
The church, our community in the church is rooted in love. The church is meant to be a community where we have differing interests and differing ideas and differing backgrounds and differing cultures. And yet we're so united, so deeply united by our shared life in Christ, right? Our union with Christ, it unites us so deeply that it allows us to experience a connection to one another, a bond to one another that is not natural, Right? Natural connections are, we like chess, let's hang out and play chess. Supernatural connection is, you and I, I you love chess and I hate chess. Let's be brothers and sisters. Right? That's a, that's a supernatural bond. It's a gift from God and that's the basis of our community. And now Peter is saying, listen, here's his argument. Peter is making the connection that gospel-centered community Right? A community that is rooted in the shared life of Christ, that is lived out by loving one another earnestly, it leads to gospel-centered service. It has to. That's what it does. Let me show you how, that, how Peter lays that out. Verses 7 to 9, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. In other words, live in light of the end. Live, live in light of knowing that eternity is coming and it's right at the door. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, forgiving one another, showing hospitality to one another. All those things, he says. And as you you live in community, as you do these things, he says, you're going to discover there's some real needs among you. If we're living in intimacy with one another, if, I, if I'm in a small group and, and, and we're sharing life together and sharing our hearts, yeah, it's one thing to share with each other, but eventually it's going to be evident to me that my brother has a need, that my sister has a need. And I can't just say, great, I'm going to keep praying for you. It leads me to say, how can I help meet that need? How can I serve? How can I support? How can I care? And that's Peter's point, verses 7 to 9, that's community. But then in verses 10 and 11, he says, community... This kind of community leads to serving. And so verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you see the connection between community and serving? You can't have genuine community without serving. Genuine community leads to serving. Why? Because when you're in community with others who you're seeking to love, it will change you. And you'll find you're becoming less selfish and more selfless. Right? You'll find that when I I love you genuinely and earnestly, I'm desiring, I'm compelled to meet needs. I'm compelled to help. I don't just listen and hear you share your heart and go, great, thanks, have a great week, guys. No, and gospel-centered community, it just slowly destroys and, 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 and tears away at our consumerism. And that frees us up to serve. You see, consumerism is, is rampant now, especially in the church. Consumerism is the mindset that I go to church to have my needs met. And it's incredibly unhealthy. Right? It's like a smorgasbord, smorgasbord now. We can, we can say, well, I go to this church to have this need met. I go to that church to have that need met. And if, and if I get upset at a church, I can just watch a different service online and not even go. And I get everything I want. My favorite preacher, my favorite worship, and my favorite... And I can kind of get and pick and choose. And I pick this and I fill a plate with everything that I like best. But there's no asparagus. There's no, no whatever else that you don't like. No Brussels sprouts. Amen. All the 
Now you know Pastor Brady loves Brussels sprouts. <laughs> he knows what's good for him. Consumerism leads to, leads to discontentment. It leads to complaining. It leads to nitpicking. It leads to assuming the worst about others. It leads to bitterness. It leads to unforgiveness. And you better believe that's how you destroy a church. But gospel-centered community tears away at that consumerism as we begin to see each other with genuine love and say, I'm not just here to have my needs met, I'm here to serve. And as I serve, amazingly, supernaturally, God meets what I need. That's why Peter says, above all, verse 8, he's not using hyperbole, he actually means above everything else, love, Keep loving one another earnestly. We all need that reminder. Keep loving one another. By the way, 1 Peter is written to the early church, first century church, that is suffering greatly for their faith. Peter, if you read the book, we studied this book a year ago, he's writing to a church that is being persecuted, and he's helping them to see how can you hold on to hope while you're suffering hardships and while you're pursuing holiness. And so he, here he is, like, writing this letter to a church that's literally being beaten and fed to lions. That kind of suffering. Isn't it interesting that what he says to them isn't, all right, church, you're suffering, you're, you're being persecuted, hunker down and wait it out. No. Don't uh, turn inwardly and just focus on survival. No. He says, I know you're suffering. I know you're hurting. But listen, you got to get beyond yourself at great cost to yourself. He's talking to a suffering church. I'm talking to a suffering church. I get it. That's Peter's message, that gospel-centered community, as above all else, we keep loving one another earnestly, show hospitality without grumbling. It's almost like he's stepping on our toes. He knows what we're struggling with. He says that kind of community will lead to serving. And so now he says, okay, let me tell you how you serve. You're going to need equipping and understanding how you serve. And so lesson two, spiritual gifts are given by God to serve one another. He's telling us now how to serve one another. He's teaching us how we live in community. And verse 10, he says, we serve by using our gifts. He says the gifts are God's varied grace. Varied means, varied is the word diverse, meaning they're, they're very different gifts that he gives. A diversity of gifts. God gives a diversity of gifts to the church out of his grace. So what are spiritual gifts? We want to talk about that for a little bit this morning. This is a topic that has become sort of a lightning rod for churches at large, for the church at large, right? In some circles, there's this obsessive, uh, unhealthy focus on the spiritual gifts, right? You got to use the spiritual gifts. You got to use especially the, the ones that are kind of more evident and outward. In other circles, they kind of swing the other way and, we tend to, and they tend to ignore the gifts and kind of guard against any kind of misuse of them. And that's unhealthy too. We don't want to fall into either trap. We want to understand how God teaches us on the spiritual gifts so that we can utilize them, live them out. Here's a definition. And, I, and I've been changing this and tweaking it, and I'll probably keep changing and tweaking it. It's not the end-all, be-all, but here's a working definition. Spiritual gifts are abilities 
that are given by the Holy Spirit to meet needs and build up the body of Christ. Let me flesh this out. First of all, spiritual gifts are abilities given by the Holy Spirit. There's actually five different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Romans 12, two lists in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and right here. And if you read those lists, you find interestingly that each list is different. They don't list all the same gifts. That tells us that taken together, these lists, while they are comprehensive, they're not exhaustive. And you may want to write that down. These lists are comprehensive but not exhaustive. Meaning, if you put all those lists together, I, I believe you don't have every spiritual gift listed. These lists are helpful. They're very, I mean, they, they, they cover a wide span of gifts. But I don't think you're like, oh, if I, if I can't find a gift on here, then I don't have any. No, those are very helpful gifts. And most of us have some of those gifts. But there might be gifts that are not specifically listed and, and if you read Paul and Peter, they both tell us that a gift is given by the Holy Spirit himself. It's the Spirit of God either giving a gift or empowering a gift or ability that we have. Notice verse 10. As each has received a gift. As each has received a gift. That means every believer has at least one spiritual gift. There are no giftless Christians. I say that to those who, who might feel discouraged, who want to feel like, I got nothing. And I say that to those who are like, oh, I got every gift. No, you don't. No, you don't. 1 Corinthians 12. Let me read verses 4 to 7. It's really helpful. Now there are a variety of gifts. He's, he's saying the same thing as Peter. It's almost like the Spirit of God is, is equipping both of them to write the like, same thing, right? Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit so that's why the gifts are given by the Spirit. There's a connection. And there are a variety of, a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. There are no giftless Christians. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You may not know your spiritual gift, Christian. Or maybe you're not using your gift. But please hear me. You have been given a gift to serve others. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us, you have a gift. A variety of gifts. All given by God to every believer for the purpose of the common good. To building up the body of Christ. That doesn't just mean serving Christians. It means making the body of Christ go deeper and wider as we reach out into our community. Several more implications here. First, the variety of gifts means that, we that while we share a deep unity in Christ, our spiritual gifts make us incredibly diverse. Notice how many times Paul says in this passage, uh, a variety of activities, a diversity of gifts, right? He's trying to say, yes, you have the same spirit, the same Lord, where you're united and bound in Christ or by a shared life in Christ. But he says, listen, your gifts are as, as diverse and different as you can imagine. Someone who has the gift of exhortation is going to minister and use that gift in a very different way than someone who has the gift of, say, mercy. It's going to look different. Which means we need to be okay that, that, and even supportive of people who have differing passions 
and interests and, and callings. We need to be okay with that. All the people who are gifted in evangelism are like, everyone should be as passionate about evangelism as I am. And yes, we all should do evangelism, but like, that's your gift, man. That's what you're doing. And this lady over here is like, I have the gift of mercy and everyone should be as kind and merciful as me. And the guy's like, no, just share the gospel. And she's like, no, be sit with them. And they're like, no, that's not the goal here. Right? It's not to cause train wrecks, no. But there is going to be tension because those gifts are displayed differently. That's why we all, all have to be on the same page, right? Our foundational mission as a church is to bring glory to God by making fully devoted followers of Christ who passionately love God and people. That's our, that is what we are in agreement. Glory to God, number one, making disciples. And how we do that is going to look different. And this one over here can't look to that one over here with suspicion and annoyance. And this one over here can't look to that one and, and kind of dismiss them. No, there's going to be a healthy tension there's got to be. It has to be. Do you know in order for your physical body to work, there has to be tension? In order for this muscle to contract, this one has to constrict. That's just how our bodies work. Tension makes our bodies work. There's tension in the body of Christ, and that's not a bad thing. It's simply how God has equipped the church to do a diversity of ministries. Second, Peter's very clear. As you have received a gift, use it. You might want to circle those two words or underline them or highlight them. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Every Christian here can and should be meeting needs and ministering to others. That is what it means to be a Christian. Christian, you are needed. There are no subs in the church. Right? We don't have 11 best players that we put into the football game and the rest watch. There's no subs and there's also no all-stars. Right? It's not like we have the, the first round draft pick quarterback so we let him do all the, and we let him shine. No. There's nobody, look around, there's no all-stars here. Nobody's writing like mega books or on the, you know, nobody, we're just ordinary Christians, including me. Each one plays a vital role. Now, unlike Paul, who lists out different specific gifts, Peter just kind of brushes with broad strokes. Two categories of gifts, he says. Speaking and serving, verse 11. Speaking, whoever speaks, whoever serves. Those are his two categories. Whoever speaks, first of all. This would include any gift that involves speaking God's word. Preaching, teaching, any kind of class, from the youngest to the old, oldest, evangelism, exhortation. By the way, here's an example. I would, I would include singing in this category. That some people have a, have, have a, God, a spirit-empowered gift to use singing to minister God's word to people. Haven't you experienced that? He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Meaning, if you've been given a speaking gift, you must recognize the seriousness that comes with teaching God's Word, not your own words. If I'm ever up here telling you my opinion on things, and that's generally the thrust that you're getting, come talk to me. That's dumb of me to do, and I should never do it. 
There should be an earnestness to those who proclaim God's word. Because whether you teach a, a, an adult class or a, a children's Sunday school class, or whether you're a youth leader or a small group leader or a counselor, or if you're a Christian who's discipling another Christian, it's not about your thoughts or ideas. It's about speaking God's words and ideas. It's about understanding and learning and applying God's word to our hearts. If you have a natural ability to speak to others, but maybe you've never utilized this gift to minister God's word, I want to encourage you. God may, may be able to use you, may be wanting to use you to speak the word of God to equip other believers or to evangelize non-believers. Don't shy away from this gift. If anything, what I have noticed in the body of Christ in the last 15 years is that less people want to be able to teach because they feel less competent. Maybe it's because they see mega preachers online and they're watching these amazing communicators and, they're like, and you're like, I can't be that. Well, let me just say, I, I'm, I'll join you. I can't be that. I, I cannot be a John Piper or a Tim Keller. I just have to be me. And I have to trust that God has placed me here and placed you here because he knows what this body needs. Amen? He is sovereignly in charge of this body, of every body of believers. And, he's, and he never wastes a gift. He never does. So I want to encourage you. It may take time and effort to sharpen this gift, but it is desperately needed. Secondly, broad category, some who, who speak, and he says, whoever serves. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. Serving is a broad term that refers to any gift that sort of helps other people. That's not kind of speaking directly, whether it's the gift of encouragement, the gift of giving, the gift of hospitality. Serving gifts tend to, be, tend to be more behind the scenes rather than up front. In our church, serving gifts look like being a deacon, uh, being on our welcome team, on our host team, uh, our security team, our nursing home ministry, listening to kids recite verses in Awana, our visitation team who visits the shut-ins and those who can't get out. These are all serving gifts. Behind You probably never even knew we had a team of security men and women who are making sure that everything's safe right now. I'm glad they're there. And in general, you shouldn't see them, right? They shouldn't be like, look at me. I think, I think it's because he understands and we know inherently that serving can be exhausting. Especially when you try to do it in your own strengths. And just like speaking comes with its own dangers, pride and hypocrisy there's a lot of dangers in serving gifts too and one of those dangers for really all the gifts one of the dangers in serving is finding your identity in serving when you equate your value or you equate your gift with your value let me just say it as clearly as i can christian you are not your spiritual gift and if I had a mirror, I'd, I'd, that's kind of what I want to say to myself. Mark, you are not your spiritual gift. In other words, my gift that God has, has, has entrusted to me here, that my gift is not my identity. Your gift is not your identity. You are a beloved child of God by His grace. That's your identity. But if you seek your identity in serving, what happens when you mess up or when you fail? Right? You were so excited about doing something and it didn't turn out. 
Then you're like, oh, if your value is wrapped up in that, then you feel miserable. You're, you might even get angry. What happens when, when you can't solve a problem through where you're serving? What happens if a ministry that you are so passionate about, that, that comes to an end formally in the church? If that destroys you, if you get incredibly angry, dejected, your gift might have become your identity. Another indication that your serving has become your identity is that you, resent, you start to resent the people that you serve. You might be using your gifts and you find that some people don't appreciate how you're serving. They don't appreciate the time, the energy, the resources that you're pouring into giving them, serving them, and it can lead to, to lots of resentment. I know this, and, it, and, and it's very dangerous. This is a very dangerous temptation for ministry leaders who, who we have a tendency to find our identities in our gifts. And it leads to all kinds of unhealthy attitudes and behavior. I think that's why Peter's saying to us as a church, this is why we must all serve with the strength that God supplies. The one who gave you the gift in the first place is the one who provides the strength for you to use that gift. If you trust him as the one who gave you the gift, you got to keep trusting him as the one who will supply all the strength you need to use that gift. Are you tapping into his strength, Christian? Church, are we tapping into the strength that only God can supply? Or are we, and are we finding our value and identity in Christ alone? You say, how do I do that? Real quick, how, how do I? Listen, you got to warm your heart to the gospel through the spiritual disciplines of, of, of spending time in his word, of communing with God in prayer, intimate prayer. you got to be in community so that others know your heart and you know theirs. It's very insidious, this, this kind of trying to serve out of our own strength or finding our identity in our serving. But as you come to experience Christ as your, as your source of living water, as you, as you drink of Christ, as you feast on Christ, you're able to then pour into others and share that with others regardless of whether you do it perfectly or regardless of whether they respond appreciatively because you're doing it in God's strength. May this be an encouragement to all of us. God supplies the strength we need to minister His gifts. To build up the church. He is faithful. Lesson three. Use your gifts to serve from God's grace for God's glory. A right understanding of the spiritual gifts will guard your heart against things like pride, jealousy, and despair. We ought to use our gifts, he he teaches, from God's grace and for God's glory. Notice the word for gift. As you have received the gift. That word gift is the same word later when he used as good stewards of God's varied grace. The word gift is the word grace. In other words, you were given a gift as a gift. You didn't earn your gift because you're more spiritual or more mature than others. On the flip side, you didn't get a whatever, quote-unquote, lesser gift because of your messy past. Right? We have all kinds of ways of warping how we think of God. You didn't get a better gift or a lower gift. You got a gift. You got grace from God. We, get, we all get God's grace. He gives good gifts, period, because He's a good God. 
Therefore, whether your gift puts you in front or to never be seen by people or whether you touch one at a time or ten at a time or hundreds at a time, we recognize because it's a gift, because it's God's grace, we got nothing to boast about. We didn't earn those gifts. So it, it guards against pride when we realize we've been given a gift by God's grace. It also guards against jealousy. God doesn't give the same gift to everyone. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, listen, the gifts are like a physical body, different parts of the body. And he says, we, we can't, it can't be like the hand saying to the nose, I don't need you, nose, because you can't pick up water and you can't eat good food. You can't do any of that stuff. Nose, you're, you're, you're ridiculous. All you can do is smell. Who wants that? Right, a hand strong. And Paul's saying that that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We don't, why would we be jealous of each other? Yeah, hand, you can pick up the sandwich, but where are you going to put it? In the mouth. And you know why you put it in your mouth? Because it smelled good in the first place. So there you go, nose. <laughs> it guards against jealousy. We've been given gifts by God's grace. We don't have to be jealous of other gifts. We don't have to say, I wish I had that gift. Or I'm, I'm nobody because I don't have that gift. We're interdependent on each other's gifts. So that as the nose and the hand work together, oh, the body's working as it's supposed to. Oh, praise God, the church is working as it's supposed to. Someone's visiting here in the nursing home. Someone's teaching a Bible study over here. And then together we realize the body of Christ is functioning, building itself up as Ephesians 4 tells us. And a right understanding of the gifts guards against despair. Sometimes it seems like our gifts are not recognized or, or they don't produce the same kind of results as others. Or, and I've heard this from some of you, that you, you share that you struggle to know where does your gift fit into the body of Christ. Right? You might say, this is the gift I have. And then I look at the body of Christ and I don't see where does that fit in. And that can be very discouraging. It can even lead to despair. But I don't think it has to. I think we all need a regular reminder that every gift is wisely and sovereignly given by our gracious Father to this church, to every church, and He doesn't waste His gifts. I mean, if you read Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about the gifts there, he literally says, one of the reasons why Jesus came to die and rise again was that he could, so that He could send the Holy Spirit to equip His church with gifts to bear witness to the gospel. It's one of the very reasons Jesus came to die on a cross was so that he can give a, give a manifold number of gifts, a diversity of gifts. And because God never wastes his gift, neither should we. Even if we use them in informal ways. I was talking to a pastor recently and, and he was talking about how, yeah, there's formal ways that you can use your gift and then there's informal. And he, and he mentioned how he, he was called by a non-church member, just someone in the community who literally found his number, called him and said, I just want you to know, I see one of your church members serving one of your other church members and, it's, and I live next to them and I've been watching this for a while and I just wanted you to know what's happening. And he's like, wow, thank you. I had, I had no idea. And that's good that he didn't have an idea because we don't have to know everything. People are just serving as the needs arise. It's beautiful. People tell us all the time, did you know so-and-so visited so-and-so? Did you know this family gave? Did you know? No, he had no idea. Praise God. 
The body is building itself up just like it's supposed to. Praise God. Okay, how do we discover and use our gifts? How do we discover and use our gifts? When I was in seminary, there was um, a lot of talk, a lot of giving out of spiritual gift assessments. They're very popular, right? Take this test, take this assessment, and it'll tell you your gift. And those can be helpful. those Those are fine. I think one of the problems with those assessments is they assume a high level of self-awareness. A lot of people I talk to, you guys are like, I have no idea, right? Do do you like to do this? Mm, uh, One to ten. I'm like five on all of them. Well, I don't have a gift. Forget it, I'm done. No, that's why they're not, sometimes they're not helpful. The Bible says very little about how you discover our gifts. Did you know that? It doesn't, there's a lot of discussion on the gifts, but never like, how do you figure out which one? Tell us. No. You know what it does say? Often, repeatedly, it commands us, serve others. Serve others. Serve others. What does that mean? I think it means how we discover our gifts is connected to simply serving. In other words, you want to know how to discern your spiritual gift Try serving in a variety of ministries and see what happens. I think that's one of the surest ways to learn your giftedness. I've seen it at work in the lives of others. I've seen it at work in my life. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what God was calling me to. And then I interned at my church one summer and my pastor had me lead Bible studies for students and take mission trips and do all this other stuff. And they said, oh, by the way, you're going to teach. All right, I can teach a lesson. Oh, by the way, you're going to preach. No, that's not what I'm going to do. And he's like, uh, yep, I'm in charge. So I'm standing up, I'm, what, 18 years old, I'm preaching on a Sunday night, and I'm like thinking, this is literally like, I'm going to die. My heart's going to stop, I'm going to go right to Jesus, and it'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I've told you this, I was scared to death about speaking in front of people. I never wanted, this isn't like my dream job. I love it now, <laughs> I do love it now. But I found afterward that it resonated in my soul. It struck a chord. And that started this journey of acknowledging the gift of teaching and, and having a church family affirm that gift to exercise it. You want to discover your gift, start serving. Where? Anywhere. Honestly, we have a ministry fair. Pick something, right? You say, I like babies in general. Great. Hang out in the nursery. By the way, this is what I tell people in our new members class. I say, how do you find where to serve? Pick a ministry. If you want to serve in the nursery. And if you find you don't like wiping babies' bottoms, pick a different ministry. Nobody's going to be upset. Just pick a different ministry. You've got middle school. And if you find middle schoolers are your passion, praise Jesus. You're one of the two people that find that. And we need those. We need it. There are needs everywhere. You want to work with students? You want to work with adults? You want to usher and be your hospitable? You want to smile and hand out? Great. You want to be on our host team? Great. You want to help out with security? Great. Just pick something. And over time, either the leader will help you understand or you'll self-discover, this isn't it. I can promise you we're okay with that. I'm convinced God will reveal his unique will for you as you obey his revealed will for you to serve. God will reveal his unique will for you as you obey his revealed will to serve. Use your gift to serve from grace 
but also use your gift to serve for God's glory. This is now getting at our motivation, at the heart of things. What is the ultimate goal of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us? Why use them? Why speak? Why serve? Peter says at the end of 10, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, and to kind of put a cherry on top as if he didn't say it just then, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. If we use our gifts for our own glory, we are literally putting ourselves in competition with God. It's all or nothing. He gets the glory or we get the glory. And he doesn't share his glory with anybody. So how do we ensure we're using our gifts and serving for his glory alone? I think the, I think the answer, I think the key to this whole passage, to ultimately ending with a motivation that we do it for the glory of God, is found in verse 8, yet again, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why do I say that? That's the key. Because if you look at, at, at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, that lengthy discussion on the gifts, what's right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13? What does Paul pause his discussion about spiritual gifts and spend a whole chapter talking about? Love. Ephesians 4, talking about the spiritual gifts. But then he says, speaking the truth in love, we build one another up. Love is the key to making sure we're doing this with the right motivation for the glory of God. We love, love for God, love for others is how we can ensure we're serving for the glory of God. If you're not using your gifts, if you aren't volunteering in a, or, or serving in a meaningful way, I would humbly say that's a lack of love. It's a lack of love. You can make any excuse you want, but ultimately it comes down to a love problem. If you're using your gifts in a selfish way or to find your sense of worth, that too is a lack of love. You're not really loving God, you're loving yourself. You love what serving does for you. Listen to me very carefully as we're closing. Without love, our spiritual gifts will destroy one another. It will lead to disunity, bitterness, competition. Above all, we need love. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have the power to understand all mysteries and all faith to move mountains, like that's some serious giftedness. But if I have not love, I am nothing. We're nothing without love. By the way, if you're like, look, here's my situation, and I can't, we have a dear sister who just went on to be with the Lord, Helen Farley, who was homebound for years. And one of the things that struck me about her life as I visited her and spoke with her was that she realized she would never be able to go out and do ministry like she used to before as a pastor's wife. She would never be able to serve her children like she used to or to do the things that she loved to do. But you know what she did? She did what she could. And so she had a prayer list and she would pray daily, every day, night and day. Her family knew her as a prayer warrior. She'd pick up a phone and call the people on her prayer list. She'd call me regularly. And she, it wasn't long. It was kind of quick because, you know, she had to get to all of them. Hey, Mark, hi, Pastor Mark, how you doing? I'm great. Hi, how are you? I'm just checking on you, praying for you. All right, let me, I got to go. And she prays and move on to the next one. And she's just praying through that list. I, I will have no idea how Helen Farley's prayers have impacted my life till I go to see her in, G, in heaven. But I'm so glad she didn't say, ah, I'm sidelined. 
She did what she could. And what she could was meaningful. How do you love so much that you can get beyond yourself and serve selflessly for God's glory and not your own? I think, I think we have to preach the gospel to ourselves regularly. Why did Jesus come to earth on the first place? Why did he have to die? If love is the way we, we root everything for God's glory, what did Jesus do? It's, he tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You can serve out of genuine love when you're convinced Jesus served you out of genuine love. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus was God in the flesh. He deserved all of our worship, all of our honor and our obedience and our love, and yet we didn't serve Him. He served us. He, he literally served us. He lived the, the humblest life imaginable. He was born in a stable, and He died on a cross. He spent His whole life in relative obscurity. Mostly ministering and teaching in the backwoods of Galilee. He didn't care about fame or fortune. He came to love. And so he healed diseases and he cast out demons and he spent time with the marginalized and the downcast and he touched lepers and he ate with prostitutes. Why? Love. Love. And right before he died, Jesus, it says in John uh, that, he, that he loved his disciples to the fullest, to the end. And he gets down on his, on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet, including Judas, who was about to betray him. Jesus taught us with his life and then he showed us with his death that love serves. Love serves. And so there he goes. There he is on the cross, dying. Why? To deal with our pride, our jealousy, our bitterness, our selfishness, our self-glory, our lack of love. He died for people like you and me. On the cross, Jesus served us by dying for our sins. He took the death we deserve for our rebellion against God. He bore all of our condemnation, all of our rejection that we deserved. He was humiliated, he was tortured, and he was crushed. He literally lost everything. So that you and I could experience once and for all a perfect love that serves. That's the love you and I need, isn't it? That's the love you and I have been shown. And the more that selfless love of Christ shapes and transforms our hearts, the more it will empower us to use our gifts to serve out of grace and to serve for God's glory. Do you want to use your spiritual gifts to meet real needs around you? I just want to ask you, as, you're, as we close, do you want to do that? First of all, if you're not a Christian, you need to be a Christian. You need to turn from whatever you've been looking to to find value in life and turn to Jesus Christ and receive His gift. Receive Him by faith. Not by good works, not by, okay, great, I accept Jesus, now i got to work hard. No, you accept it as a gift. He saves you by grace alone. You just simply rest your soul on him, his death and resurrection for you, and he changes you, he makes you a Christian, and he gives you gifts. And you get to dis discover what those are, and then find a local church to commit to serving. And try serving in various ministries. And over time, it will become evident to you and those around you in community. That is exactly why we have a ministry fair today. It's not an accident. As we start the ministry year, you're like, oh, you're just trying to get signups. No, we're not. We're loving you well. 
This isn't a guilt trip. This is a grace trip. If gifts are grace, how can it be guilt? Don't ever accuse us of guilt. This is grace. God knows what you need. He knows what will make your heart happy when you live for him, when you love others for his glory. So I'm just going to close by saying, on behalf of all of your pastors and elders, can I ask that every one of you, please, walk to the gym after the service, see the various ministries, consider how you might serve, and finally, keep looking to Jesus. Let his love fuel your need, you as you use your gifts to serve others for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we want to love you more. And we want your love for us to fill us, to, to grow our capacity to love one another so that we, we can meet needs and build up the body of Christ. God, there are so many needs. I see it every week. I, I feel the burden of all the needs. And yet, I know that this church because it is your bride, you have equipped it with everything needed to minister to one another and to shine the light of Christ for this community. Lord, where else can we go? We're just asking you to fill us up. We're asking you to, to remind us of your selfless love for us so that we can do supernaturally what you've called us to do. God, fill, I'm praying you fill every ministry need among us. That every leader, every helper is filled for every ministry from children to students to adults to those reaching our community and our support groups. So from, from, from Sunday morning to Sunday night to every day of the week to our school, God, meet every need, fill every spot with people who are gifted who are learning to discover their gifts. And may we just be so, so thankful that you give us the church to be able to exercise our gifts as we make our hearts happy in you. Lord, we know that you are glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you. We love you, we need you. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.